Hey, everyone. We're going to start out a little differently today. I am so excited to announce that Sawyer Products is sponsoring this episode. You're probably familiar with Sawyer as the maker of everyone's favorite water filter, the Sawyer Squeeze. But did you know that they also make a picaridin-based insect repellent? Why is this important? Have I mentioned that turning 50 comes with some kickers? One of which is a new allergy to DEET, which I discovered while in the Philippines. Picaridin saved my life. Sawyer makes a 20% picaridin repellent that is as effective at repelling mosquitoes, flies, gnats, chiggers, and ticks as 100% DEET, but won't damage plastics or synthetic coatings. Because it's derived from pepper plants, it's family-friendly and safe for 50-year-olds with allergies. You're getting protection from Zika, West Nile virus, dengue and yellow fever, and probably most importantly, Lyme disease. And for more protection, you can add Sawyer's permethrin spray to your gear and clothing, which will also help repel and kill the little boogers. Look, I listen to your tortured insect stories from the trails. I don't know about you, but when we all can finally leave our houses again, I want to be as protected as possible and ready for some adventure. Always food. Food was always talked about. Even looking at my journals uh, for both years, I would start out writing about how beautiful the trail was and how happy I was to be out there and the birds and all the animals and the flowers and it was so magical. And then a couple weeks in, it just turns to tonight for dinner, I'm having mashed potatoes and I'm really excited about it because I'm adding mushrooms and bell peppers to it. It's so delicious. And I'm going to have two, two candy bars tonight before I go to bed. It's all about food. And it's really funny to see it change as the trail goes along. It's what was what I thought was really important. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, sitting at home hatching plans. What else I got to do right now? And this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Socks, known off-trail as Sarah Kruglinski. She started 2018 with a plan to just hike a section of the PCT. Fast forward to feet on trail and everything changed. With both a Sobo and Nobo thru-hike under her belt now, in this episode, we talk about being clear on the goal of completing versus continuous footsteps, the joys of being a height-challenged hiker, trail games to make the miles go by, and safety islands. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Socks. Hi. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Are you planning to do the PCT one more time this year? <laughs> um, this year I'm doing California southbound. Oh, so just California. So not the full trail. Yeah, just California. Just 1,700 miles. <laughs> Just a few. Yeah. Now, I guess just to step back from things and and to kind of uh, bring everybody who's listening up to speed, you've basically done the PCT twice at this point. Yeah. Northbound in 2018 and then southbound in 2019. So so I've got to start with the basic question, which is, 
What ended you up on the PCT to begin with? Um, I grew up in Los Angeles and the PCT was always really close by. Um, and then I moved to Lake Tahoe. So I was even closer to the PCT and it always seemed really intriguing to me to hike all the way from Mexico to Canada. And I would see the through hikers come through town and they looked so fit and so happy. And I, I wanted some of that. I wanted whatever they had. They just seemed to have some secret to life that I didn't have yet. So yeah, I, I did a bunch of uh, little weekend trips on the trail close to my house and then finally made the leap to go for the full trail and did a lot of research before getting out there in 2018. So, And then you did it in 2018. and I did. Fell in love, got addicted, took the drugs, yes. whatever it was. <laughs> no. Yeah. I um I hiked Northbound 2018 originally. I was just planning on doing the first half of the trail, and that's the time that I had gotten off work was to do half the trail. And I thought that just hiking to the midpoint was satisfying. The first hundred miles of hiking, I realized that uh, I had to do the full trail, and so I started figuring out a game plan for quitting my job <laughs> and figuring out how I was going to financially be able to pull it together to finish the trail in 2018 and made it work. So I had to do a little bit of a weird, um, skip flip flop to make it happen. Um, but I ended up hiking the first half of the trail, went back to work, worked for two weeks, put in my two week notice. And then I skipped up a few hundred miles to people that I had been hiking around in my bubble. Trail to Canada and then went back and finished the chunk that I had missed around the midpoint and finished in October in 2018. Was a little bit of a non-traditional, very non-traditional. But so, was your midpoint the true midpoint, or it was? Um, so I got off right in Truckee, which is where I was okay. living, and then um, got back on uh, in Mount Lassen State Park. Okay. okay, and then hiked northbound from there. And then when I came back, I got back on at Lassen with my dog, and my dog and I hiked all the way to Truckee. So it was really nice because I was able to finish the trail at home and have that um, celebration there with friends and family. And it felt really, it felt really nice to be able to do that and have a different endpoint. And then but you because got of that, I was just going to say, and then you got to hike it with your dog as well. Yes. Which was so much fun. It was really great that he got to be a part of the trail with me. It was really special. But th- I interrupted you. So you were going to also say something. So, uh, so because I did the, the flip flop, you know, and it wasn't really a traditional through hike. That's why I wanted to go back and hike southbound because I really wanted the full through hike experience. And I felt like it had cheated a little bit. <laughs> so that's why I came back and did it this last year as well. So did doing the full through hike experience, was it really that different for you from what you had done the first time around? Not really. <laughs> I mean, the direction's completely different. Going southbound was a totally different experience than going northbound. And so it was going to be different, but I, I didn't expect it to be as different as it was, if that makes sense. Please expound. Yeah. Northbound, you hit Washington when it's like raining and all the flowers are gone and things dying and you feel like you're racing against the clock and going southbound. Washington was in full bloom, 
all the stores were still open. It felt like I was there at the right time. And when I went northbound, I felt like I was in Washington at the wrong time, that everything was closing and it was raining and miserable. Not miserable, but it wasn't as fun. When you're going southbound, aren't you kind of racing against fall in the Sierras too? Yes. Yes. So then at that point, then the Sierra and the desert becomes less, less fun. And um, I felt like everything was closed and that we were racing against, uh, that we were there at the wrong time. <laughs> everything was closing and no one was expecting to see hikers and people would see us and tell us that we were late or there at the wrong time. And that was a little bit frustrating. So were you guys at there at such a different time than the other Sobo hikers? We were behind. Well, I don't really, I never really, the Sobo bubble was a little bit strange because there was one to begin with at the beginning, kind of in Washington. And then people started to skip around. Like there was a group of people that skipped Oregon completely. And then we're going to come back and finish it later. And so we never really found a huge bubble of Southbounders. It was uh, maybe 10 at the most, but going Northbound, I mean, there were 50 people surrounding you almost every day. So it was a completely different experience. So which experience do you find that you prefer at this point? Um, if I was going to do it again or when I do it again, I think I'll go south. Okay. So a little but quieter. I think I'll start a little bit sooner. Yeah. It's a lot quieter and finding campsites was a lot easier. And, and that was a big thing going northbound, especially as you get, into Washington, it's really hard to find camping. Um, everyone's pushing for the border. There's limited flat spots to camp, and you end up setting up your some really weird, non-traditional <laughs> camp spots that just aren't flat at all. And you really begin to appreciate what a flat piece of ground has to offer for a good night's sleep. So, what was your most non-traditional campsite? Oh gosh. Um. So well, we did camp. The probably one of the worst was um, hiking through Oregon, and couldn't find anywhere flat camps. We found this kind of rocky, chilly area that at least was open and a durable surface. So we set up our tents there and noticed there was an owl above us. We thought, oh, that's that's me. It's nature. It'll be fine. <laughs> and um, come to find out, it was an owl with some owlets. At three in the morning, she decided it was a good time to teach them how to fly. So <laughs> she was flying from tree to tree, squawking and screeching. And then the little owls were screeching and squawking back and then hopping from tree to tree. And it went on for hours. And I put my earplugs in and, and nobody got any sleep. It was just awful. And so it's something that, you know, you think it's going to be okay. Like, oh, you know, owls are part of nature. This should be fine. And it just absolutely was not fine. <laughs> so it went from to the next day. I'm sure it went from, Oh, nature to, Oh, nature. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How was the, the ground there? Did you find your guys, did you find yourselves sliding off of the, the mats or? Yes. So the way we were picked, it was like, your night and sliding into the wall and I tried to put like anything extra I had in my tent like extra clothes which wasn't very many and extra 
you know, like food and things like out of my food bag, try and put them underneath my sleeping pad, hoping that that would even me out. So I wouldn't <laughs> be sliding all night. So all night I would wake up and like, you're slid over and you have to keep pushing yourself back on your um, sleeping pad. And there were so many nights like that where you're just fighting gravity and, and it gets a one night sign. And then if you do it two nights in a row, it starts to become a real problem. And you really, really need that flat piece of ground to sleep on. So going south down, it was so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) How many days could you not have a good night's sleep? How many days in a row, I should say, could you not have a good night's sleep before it would really start to impact you? Or was it literally just one night and it was rough? I think three is kind of the max. We would go three nights of terrible sleep and then and then really made sure that we got a good night on the fourth one, whether we slept in past the sun coming up or or would go to bed really early to make sure that we got sleep on that fourth night because then that's when it became impossible to keep going, I think, for me. So when you say really early, what would that actually translate to? Uh, well, after the time changed in the fall <laughs> this year, early was like 4.30 in the morning. Ugh. And night owl, so. So that was crimping your Warm style. Warm would go off at 4.30. Yeah, it's definitely crimping my style. <laughs> I normally wait tables and work at night, and so having to get up any time before 9 seems really early. And normally on the trail, up at at 6 30 or 7 and then when the time changed and I had to get up at 4 30 to beat the sunlight it just seemed ridiculous but you get used to it did you find it maybe a little easier to get up early the sun coming uh, in the the world waking up so to speak sun would start to go down at 4 30 or 5 and so we had to be at camp by then because it would get so cold in the desert mm. and then I was going to bed at like Six thirty or seven, which seems really strange. So it definitely was a lot easier to get up at four thirty or four o'clock in the morning for those longer days. So, did you guys do the system? So, I guess stepping back for a second, who were you hiking with, and were you hiking with the same person for both trips? Ah, yeah. So, um, in twenty eighteen, I started the trail completely alone by myself, and hiked with multiple trail families, had a really great time. And then after I went back to work, quit my job and got back on trail, I was hiking alone, trying to catch up to some of the friends that I met on trail and ended up meeting two cuts on trail. And he and I got along really well and hiked the rest of the trail to Canada. So we hiked from pretty much the midpoint all the way to Canada together and then um, kept in touch after the trail started dating now he's my boyfriend and (laughs) then um we decided to hike south down together in 2019 and so in 2019 we hiked south down together the entire time oh fantastic okay Um, but unlike most couples we kept our we kept separate tents and uh separate systems which worked really well for us since we had hiked in 2018 with our own tents and our own stove and and water filtration systems we decided not to share gear and to keep our own gear because that worked really well for us. Right. Don't broke, don't fix something that's not broken. Right. Yeah, exactly. Did you find that you, I guess, sorry, let me step back from that question that I was just going to ask and, and phrase it in a little different way, which is how, what was your system of hiking together? 
Like, did you ah, okay. stay together all day? Did you all just make plans for meeting up at certain places? Did you sleep in the same camping area every night? Like, you know, that type of thing. So on a normal day where we're on trail, I would get up significantly earlier than him because he's a lot taller than me and faster than me. And I would start hiking. We would predetermine either a lunch spot or a camping spot for the night. And usually we try to meet up for lunch, have lunch together. And then I would keep hiking and he would take a longer lunch break than me. <laughs> usually past me at some point, he'd get to camp before me and I'd meet him at camp. And uh, we'd always uh, camp together. But on days that we'd go into town or leave town, we would hike together to get into town together because we didn't want to be in a situation where, um, where we're hitchhiking alone or getting separated or lost just right before a town and then leaving town, we would leave together just for safety. Just because sometimes, you know, I think we're the only time I really felt unsafe on trail was, was close to town. You just don't know who, who's, you know, hanging around the trail right there. So we would leave together and, and hike, hike those days together, but it worked really well for us to, have that alone time and then come together at night and be able to share our, our day's experiences. And sometimes they were really different and sometimes they were really similar. So it was really fun to compare notes and see what we each thought was the fun part of the day. How, I guess, do you have a, a an example of two days when you guys are essentially hiking the exact same miles, but the, the, your day's experiences were so different? Usually like, um, the difference would be like seeing animals or, or marmots in the Washington area. And I would have a day where I would see a whole bunch of really neat marmots or pikas and spend a whole bunch of time enjoying them and taking pictures of them. And he might not have seen any of them. So we would have this completely different experience of hiking the same section. And there are also times where I would see a rainbow and he missed it, or he would see a rainbow and I missed it. Uh, just because we were at the same at the place at a different time, so that was kind of disappointing when you missed something that sounded really exciting. <laughs> but I guess it's it sort of does tie into you know everybody says that you know every trip every or every hike is different, and it can be different you know even just passing someplace a, an hour or whatever difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is funny because from the outside looking in, you're like, how can it be that different? But the thing that was the most frustrating is um, you hike through the fire closure or the areas that had been previously closed due to fire. And there's still a ton of um, downed trees. And I would have a really hard time climbing over all of these downed trees that were burned. And I would have to side saddle and, and really climb over them or take off my pack and, and figure out a way to get around them. And it was really challenging for me. And I would get to the end of a section like that and meet up with two cups for lunch. And I would be complaining about all the down trees and how difficult that section was. And he had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> He's so much taller than me that he just was able to walk right over the trees and didn't even seem to notice that there were trees there. And it was really frustrating because I couldn't I had this completely different experience from him and we hiked the exact same path. How, how tall are you? How tall is he? I'm five, three and a half. And I think he's six, one. Oh man. Okay. 
So it's a significant, it feels very significant to me when I'm having a really hard time getting over something and you can just, you know, hop right over it with no issue. Well, it's almost like metaphorically, you were climbing mountains over every tree and he's walking yeah. over sticks. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, he didn't even notice. He's like, oh, I didn't see that. What are you talking about? We get so frustrated, but definitely a challenge. When you guys were setting your mileages for the day, how were you coming up with that? Because it sounds like because you're you're shorter, your your gait is sh- smaller, and you seem to be walking a lot longer during the day. You know how how were you guys coming up with that? Those distances or or those where you were going to stop at any given time. So we had a certain amount of days of food. We would discuss how many days we were going to take to get through a section. So for a hundred mile section, we would usually plan four days. So we'd try and average 25 miles a day. And then in the morning, we'd look at gut hook and the maps and try and pick a campsite that made sense somewhere in that range of, of 25-ish miles. Sometimes it, there was a lot of compromise involved. Like uh, there were definitely days where I had small injuries or he had small injuries and we had to do shorter mileage in order to to accommodate that and then decide to do longer miles on a, on a different day. Or if it was really flat terrain, we'd try and do closer to 30 miles like in Oregon. But mostly it was determined by how much food we had. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a pretty big motivator when you're on trail. You yeah. definitely did not want to run out of food. Did you ever have a situation where you got, where you ran out or where you got close to running out? In 2018, I ran out of food and I, in 2019, we never ran out of food. We got close, but uh, we definitely made sure we didn't run out. How did you make sure that you never ran out? Was it about the mileage or was it you carried extra food or? Uh, we we were really careful about our mileage and we just really made sure that we made those miles. And so, you know, sometimes there was a big push to get into town and there were bigger miles that we had to hit. And he and I would talk about it. And, you know, say, how are we going to make these miles? This seems kind of impossible. And I was always like, don't worry, I've got it. Like, <laughs> I'm out of food. and I'll make it. Don't worry. So it was, sometimes, I mean, you'd wake up really, really early to make sure you were going to make it into town on a day that you're going into town because you knew you, you were going to be out of food. Well, so. and if, if I remember also people talking about being into town, you know, certain things close at certain times and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you have an experience there. Yes, absolutely. I mean, getting into Walker Pass in the desert, there's a bus that goes three times a day. So it's 9 a.m., 1 p.m., and 6 p.m. And those are your three bus options, very little traffic and no cell service. So we had planned to make the one o'clock bus, and we were really stressed out about making it because if we didn't make the one o'clock bus, the next bus is at six. And, you know, then you're getting into town, who knows, like six thirty, and trying to find a place to stay and do laundry and get food. And that just seems really stressful. So we knew we had to get there by the one o'clock bus. We ended up making it there at noon and we didn't think we were going to make it in the morning. So I mean, your body really, you can push yourself pretty hard if you have the right motivation. And for us, it was food. Food was a a miracle uh, cure. Yeah, for everything. (laughs) Always food. Food was all we talked about. Even looking at my journals uh, for both years, 
I would start out writing about how beautiful the trail was and how happy I was to be out there and the birds and all the animals and the flowers. And it was so magical. And then a couple weeks in, it just turns to tonight for dinner, I'm having mashed potatoes and I'm really excited about it because I'm adding mushrooms and bell peppers to it. It's so delicious. And I'm going to have two, two candy bars tonight before I go to bed. It's all about food. And it's really funny to see it change as the trail goes along. It's what was, what I thought was really important for the day to make a note of. <laughs> Did that coincide with hiker hunger or? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And it's real. I mean, everybody talks about it. It's, ab- it's so real. The hiker hunger is unlike anything I've ever experienced. How did it manifest for you? Uh, you know, it takes, it takes me a few weeks because at first I can't even finish a rice side at the beginning of the night, uh, at the beginning of the trail at night. But after about two weeks on trail, I'll eat my rice side, I'll eat a candy bar and I'll still be hungry knowing I don't really have any more uh, treats allotted for the day. And you wake up at three in the morning, just starving and wanting it to be, you know, morning so you can eat your breakfast. And for me, it was just waking up in the middle of the night being so, so hungry and, and just wanting to eat food. And that was really hard. Okay. So here's a question. Why didn't you eat food at 3 a.m.? Oh, uh, I did end up eating food at 3 a.m. <laughs> so after those town stops and I started packing more and more uh, candy bars and snacks, and I would definitely wake up at 3 and eat candy bars and, and food. And then go back to sleep. And sometimes I'd wake up with a candy bar in my mouth. It was really, <laughs> really unattractive. <laughs> it's a good thing I had my own tent because I don't know if you'd still want to date me after. <laughs> so do you think that you, in your sleep, started eating it or that you sort of woke up, started eating it and fell back asleep again? Oh, I, yeah, I think I fell back asleep while eating food all the time. <laughs> And I know I'm not the only one out there that was doing that because we'd all laugh about it, but maybe more than others. That's that's true exhaustion. Very, very true. Ugh. So tired. What what kind of stuff were you eating? What was what was your chosen nutrition like? I'm vegetarian and this year I made a bunch of my own stuff, which was really fun. But usually um, I did oatmeal and instant coffee for breakfast. And then I'd have a protein bar uh, midday or two. And then for lunch, I made all my own um, bean dips because they're higher in protein. Mm-hmm. I had like, I made hummus and black bean hummus and uh, pinto beans and um, just all these lentils. And I would do that on a tortilla with cheese and hot sauce and dinner with always a rice side or macaroni and cheese or Idaho and potatoes or couscous. And I had a ton of uh, vegetables that I would add to everything and try and keep everything, try and keep it balanced somewhat to what I would eat normally in the city (laughs) as best I could. So were you sending yourself boxes throughout the trail with those, with the, the extra stuff that you needed in order to make those meals work? Or were you able to find stuff all the way around along no, I sent, um, in 2018, I tried to do a combination of boxes and buying food for resupply. And 
so often I would get to a town and be disappointed with the selection that for 2019, I did a hundred percent resupply boxes. And I think that's what I'll continue to do is just send boxes. Um, I never got sick of my food and it was nice to know that I was always going to have exactly what I needed waiting for me. So that really works well for me. You just have to be able to hike around the post office schedule and, and make that work. Did you, so you were sending, or let me stop for a second. So you were, you sent yourself the boxes or had somebody sending you boxes from home as you went along, as opposed to sending yourself boxes as you were already on the trail and just sending them forward. Right. I went and bought, I spent a thousand dollars on food at the beginning of summer, put it, divided it up between all my boxes, left it with my mom with very clear directions and (laughs) she would send them to me about a week in advance from when I would be somewhere. And were you checking with, checking in with her as you went along so that she knew when you were, okay. Yeah, absolutely. And it was great because I also left all my gear that was extra with her. So she was able to send me pants when my pants got a hole in them and, um, you know, my water, a new water filter when my water filter broke and things like that. So I was able to get those extra supplies added into my boxes and from, from home. And then when I did become sick of certain foods, she was able to take them out of the box and replace them with something else for me, which was great. That sounds nice. I still had fun. Yeah. I had a lot of, it was, I was really fortunate to have that support from home and I still had the flexibility to have things changed um, in my boxes. So I wasn't stuck with thick bars for the entire trail. What was your favorite treat out there? Uh, Dark chocolate Milky Way for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That was easy. (laughs) Oh, good. And sour gummies. Like I ate so many gummies. I love sour gummies on trail. I can't eat them at home, but when you're outside, they just taste so good. Is it about getting the different flavors? Cause I, cause mashed potatoes and couscous and stuff like that is pretty bland. It is. Yeah. Well, I added hot sauce to everything. I had, oh, I had five different kinds of hot sauce that I carried on trail. How? Tabasco, tap. I, uh, so on Amazon, you can order, they're like ketchup packets of hot sauce. So I had little ketchup packets of uh, Tapatio and Cholula and Sriracha and uh, Tabasco. And I would use one or two packets of hot sauce per meal and just to spice it up. And so I had all those wonderful flavors to mess with. I'm surprised that your trail name wasn't hot sauce. <laughs> it should have been. <laughs> Definitely should have been. But I, uh, but I'm assuming that you got your trail name the first, the first season. I did. I carried, um, the desert's really dirty and, and dusty. And so, um, I always wanted clean socks because my feet were just so filthy. And so I was always washing my socks and hanging them on my back to dry. And so, uh, I carried extra socks because I wanted to make sure that I always had a clean pair so that became my trail name, Socks, because I would usually have at least two pairs hanging out to dry on my back <laughs> at any given time. It's really important to me. And it has blisters with clean socks. Nice. So, what kind of socks were you using? Uh, in gingy liners with darn tufts over them. And then I recently switched to just the Ingenji running socks, and I love those. I don't get any blisters. Are those a little heavier than the liners? 
Yeah, a little bit heavier. Um, but they, your toes, you know, because I think because the toes are individually wrapped, they don't rub together. So you don't get those yucky blisters in between your toes or the way I would get with the, just the darn tusks. They were great. I'll have to, I'll have to check them out. Yeah, you have to check them out. Happy toes. I mean, if you get blisters, it really affects your hike and your mood and being able to hike without blisters is just wonderful. <laughs> it sounds like a little slice of heaven. It is. It allows you to focus on all the other pains that you're dealing with, like the fact <laughs> that your pack might be heavy or your back hurts or your knees hurt. But at least you don't have to worry about your toes hurting, which is which is really nice. Yeah. Feet feet hurting is a real, real downer. Oh, it's the worst. When when you guys were in town and and were you just kind of finding rooms or whatever when you hit town or were you trying to kind of pre-book them as you were on the trail? We usually, if we knew we were going to stay at a hotel, we would try and pre-book it so it was more affordable. And that also then meant that we absolutely had to make that deadline because we had a hotel booked. So it was an extra motivator to try and get into town early. Otherwise you'd be out that, that money for the room. What were you booking on? Uh, Hotels.com. Okay. So just one of the, one of the sites. Yeah. One of those sites. It gets easier if you go southbound because then you have more cell service and Washington, there's just no cell service much at all. So we had to kind of hope that we get somewhere and there'd be something open. But a lot of times you're, we camp, uh, different towns have campgrounds and things like that for people to stay at, for hikers to stay at. So we, camp at a campground and use the campground shower and laundromat and get back on trail pretty quick. So you did a lot of Nero type of thing? Not, well, we like Nero and Nero out. We spend a night campground and if they had showers and laundry, do that and then get back on trail the next day. Like Trout Lake was um, in Northern Washington has a general store that they let everybody camp at. And they also have a church that everybody can camp at. And the local campground has, showers and the general store does laundry and so everybody would come in and stay at the general store and walk to the campground take a shower come back to the general store do laundry and get back on trail the next day so they've seen a few hikers yeah they've seen a lot of hikers <laughs> and they're really really nice and welcoming and it's, it's a really great experience to be able to do that and that's when you kind of get to see the bubble and figure out who's around you when you're in town so you don't necessarily see people on trail during the day at all but then you get to a town and you realize there's other hikers around and so you get to kind of catch up and see how everybody's doing and where everybody's at and what their plans are and see how their experience has been different from yours and stuff like that you said during the the first season that you had hiked kind of in a, a tramley yes how was that for you as opposed to, I think, because the second season, you guys, it was really just the two of you hiking, right? Right. We had, a, we had, we would have a third that would kind of come in and out. We hiked with someone for part of Washington and then we hiked with somebody else for part of Oregon and Northern California. But it was mostly just the two of us making all the, all of our decisions for the day. I think with a tramley, it gets really confusing. You can be in a group of eight people um, and there's, no real motivation to have to stick together in that group of eight. So you have to kind of want to be 
part of the group and everybody has an opinion and an idea of what the group should be doing or, or how the group is going to hike for the day. And that gets really complicated and hiking with just one person where we were really motivated to want to stay together and, and hike together. So it was a lot, a lot easier for us to figure that out and to work together to compromise and, and make decisions on how our hike was going to go. Right. And you only have to check in with one other person. So. Right. So much easier. (laughs) Simplified. Yeah. And we would have to make, you know, tough decisions about, you know, regarding water and, you know, whether something made sense to go farther for the day because there might not be water there. And if we're going to do a short day and he and I were usually on the same page about safety and what made sense keep the hike fun because it's supposed to be fun and we see a lot of people on trail push themselves to do something like a 35 mile day that they weren't necessarily ready for and be completely miserable and we would decide to maybe do a 20 mile day and have a little more fun and enjoy it and that worked really well for us to be on the same page with those decisions so other than say doing lower mileage how did you guys keep it fun we're both really into photography, so we take breaks to take pictures and um, enjoy all the vistas. And, I mean, we made it fun. <laughs> 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 we had a lot of really dumb uh, – you come up, you become really creative with trail games. So we would play games like I'm Thinking of an Object, and like 20 questions except for you get more than 20 questions because you're on trail and you have hours and hours to discuss what the object is and some you have to guess the object based on the questions that you can answer answer yes or no and we play stupid games and take breaks and have fun and take pictures and there was always something we were excited about because we'd hike northbound so going southbound we would have things that we were really looking forward to on trail pretty much every day so we really get excited about those little moments kind of seeing that that place that that thing again yeah absolutely so so circling back to the trail games if you're playing a version of 20 questions it means mm-hmm. you guys have to be hiking at least close together right or is it yeah like- so yeah we those we'd be hiking together when we'd be We'd hike, we would hike together. We didn't hike separately all the time. We hiked together at least part of every day. So, I was picturing the scenario where one of you comes up with the idea and then you separate for an hour or so as you're hiking your thing. And then you come back together and you ask your questions and then you separate again. And then you- <laughs> That definitely happens too. Well, that was the nice thing about running into each other throughout the day is I would see something or something would happen. I'd be so excited to share it. And and it would be really exciting when we come together because we'd have something exciting to share with each other about, you know, bear sighting or, or whatever it was or favorite water source that we passed. That was always really fun. So, so what other trail games did you create or start doing in order to pass the time? Oh gosh. I don't know. We would time our miles, which was really dorky. Um, <laughs> but you would, we would set a timer for an hour and then see how fast we could do 
the mile in or the hour, how many miles would you do in that hour? And so if we did two and a half miles in an hour, then it was always the goal to try and beat, beat that for the next hour. And so if we were hiking together, then, you know, we try and hike as fast as we could and get it up to like 2.7 and then be really excited about that. And that was pretty dorky, but it definitely kept it more interesting and kept us on, on our goal of getting to camp at night. I could see that being a version of or a variation on counting steps or something. Yeah, we did that too. <laughs> we count steps, <laughs> and uh, we definitely both had uh, step counters on our phones, and we would compare our steps at the end of the night, which was always interesting because I would get sixty thousand steps for a day, and he would have forty thousand steps for the day, and we had done the same mileage. <laughs> that just goes to show you the difference. It was very different. Well, and going uphill, I would take more steps than going downhill, which was also really interesting was to compare all that kind of dorky data about throughout the hike and see how different it was. You're sort of the the perfect science experiment of one. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about getting lost. Mm -hmm. Did you get lost? Uh, No. Okay. I think so. I definitely had, there were a couple of moments where I, I, no, I did, I did lose the trail both years, but not for very long. So not really lost. Just not necessarily knowing where you are on the trail. <laughs> you're, you're splitting hairs here. Uh, I mean, like, that there's areas where um, you can take an alternate route. Mm-hmm. And I definitely had moments where I took one of the alternates because it was more scenic for a mile or something to go by a waterfall. And then when you meet back up with the PCT, um, it's unclear as to which direction is north and which is south. So I've gone the wrong direction once I've met back up with the PCT ah. and then had to turn around and walk back and double back mileage. That happened more than once. <laughs> <laughs> so you did a few extra miles. A few extra miles, yeah. A little bit, but I mean, what can you do? <laughs> you just have to deal with it at that point. Mistakes are made. <laughs> it's almost like the the disclaimer, a few mistakes were made in the hiking of this trail. Absolutely, yeah. But I mean, and that's part of the adventure of it. I mean, even with gut hook and all the maps and everything, it's still really, if you're not paying 100% attention, it's not always clear where the trail is. And, you know, a lot of times the trail meets meets roads and there's a lot of other trails around. So it can become a little bit confusing and have to figure it out and be okay with making a few mistakes. Say that again? You just have to be okay with making a few mistakes and not Ah. get too upset about it. Was that an evolution for you or did you go onto the trail just knowing that it would happen and, and being zen about it? Uh, I think before I hiked the trail, I was a little bit more of a perfectionist and a control freak about wanting to have everything go a certain way. And then after hiking, just kind of realized that it's going to be fine. It is what it is. And I've become a lot more easygoing and go with the flow and, and trying not to worry about things as much. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
any more disclaimers you'd, you'd like to add to that? No, it's <laughs> really true though. Did, did you basically rely on gut hooks or did you also have paper maps or like what were you using for navigation? I used gut hook and I also used um, the older half mile app. Okay. And I liked using both because half mile would have um, campsites that weren't listed on gut hook. So especially in those areas where it was really crowded, I could find something um, that maybe not everybody else was looking at or looking for to camp for the night. Okay. I found that to be really helpful. And half mile also would tell you like the total elevation gain and loss to a point, whereas gut hook would just kind of show you a map that generally showed you elevation gain and loss, but not give you the total elevation gain and loss to a specific mileage point. But now half mile app hasn't been updated and actually they sort of almost discontinued it, right? Right. You can't, I don't think you can download it anymore, which is a shame because I find it to be so useful. I think you had to have downloaded it by sometime last year and then otherwise you were going to be a SOL. Yep. There was a brilliant video that you had out there of a time-lapse of you setting up your tent. Yes. This year, I think. Yeah. So how how did the first time you set up your tent compare to the, the actual time-lapse of you setting up your tent? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it definitely, you definitely get a lot more efficient at setting up your tent and setting up all your gear as the trail goes on. It's, it becomes... It's something that you can almost do in your sleep, but at the beginning, it definitely, you know, you're really trying to figure things out and figure out a routine that works. I've got it down now, I think. So you could literally do it in your sleep? I think so. Yeah. I can do it in the dark. (laughs) Which is almost. It's pretty much as a sleep, my sleep. So here's a, here's a question. And this is, this is a complete newbie question. Um, but I was just watching some people's videos, particularly from last season, where there was a lot of water, particularly for the Nobo hikers, uh, snow uh-huh. and rain and, and the whole bit. And so, you know, you're staying in your tent and, and you got to put your tent up, but it's raining. How are you yeah. keeping the interior? <laughs> How are you keeping the interior dry or is it more like as dry as possible? Oh, gosh. Okay. So in 2018, I hiked with a still nylon tent, a big Agnes tent to start. And that had a rain fly, which was nice, but it definitely would soak through. And I switched to a six moon design lunar solo, which was still still nylon. And there, it's, it, the whole tent gets saturated with water and becomes really heavy. And there's absolutely no way to dry it out on those days where it's raining five days in a row. And so you set it up and I had a um, microfiber towel, camp towel, and I would sit in my tent and try and dry it as best I could. Um, but it was already saturated and soaked through. So when you blow up your air mattress, you create a safety island <laughs> <laughs> and you get on your island and the island is dry. And that's really the only thing that's dry in your tent. And it's, it's really hard with the still nylon. So this last year I had Cuban fiber. I had a Z-Pax tent and that can get wet on the outside, but it doesn't soak through. 
So once I would get in my tent, if it was raining more than one day in a row, I could dry it out with the microfiber towel and it would, it would be dry inside for the most part. I mean, there'd still be condensation, but I didn't have to have the, the safety island. It was, it works a lot better. I think you really have to, if you know you're going to be hiking in rain, I would not go into rain without Cuban fiber ever again. Yeah, it's it sounds such like a it. huge difference. Oh, huge difference. I mean, those days, it was rain five days in a row. There's no chance of drying anything out. And if your sleeping bag gets wet, I mean, that you're screwed because then yeah. you're freezing and there's just no way to dry out. It was so miserable. Those are the worst days on trail. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. And everything that you're wearing because you've been hiking in the rain or in the water <sighs> is going to be wet as well. So, yeah. And then you have to, and then you get in your tent and it's raining and you have to go to the bathroom and you know that if you want to get outside to go to the bathroom, you have to be in, put your raincoat on and then it's wet. And so you end up debating whether or not you're going to go outside and, and pee <laughs> before you go to sleep. And it, it just, it really is. It's just, it's really challenging. It's type two fun for sure. <laughs> so it's different. So just to, to clarify, because my inquiring brain, again, I've been watching mm-hmm. videos galore and, and there was, a, there was particularly last year, a lot of talk of the rain and the weather. Um, yeah. So even with Cuban fiber, I mean, you're setting it up. So you're setting it up. It can get a little wet inside. And Absolutely. then you're basically using your microfiber towel to, to dry things out once you've got the rain fly up and, and everything right. is protected. Everything is yeah. uh, covered, so to speak. Yeah, you're like constantly wiping down the tent and everything that's wet, opening your little screen door, squeegeeing it out outside your tent, wiping it down again. It's it's the whole the whole process trying to stay dry. It sounds like so much fun. It can, it's you know, looking back, I would rather be in my tent in a rainstorm than, you know, working. So <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I realized those days are so challenging on trail. I tried to really embrace it, especially um, the second time around because I knew that I would rather be in experiencing that moment than um, not being on trail. Right. It's still, it's still really fun. And it has that feeling of adventure and, and freedom that you don't get in your nine to five day to day life. So did that work? Yeah, I think I think it made me embrace it a little bit more the second time around. But it's definitely, you know, there's always something that is challenging on the trail. You know, it's whether it's, you know, you're dealing with being wet and you think that's the worst thing that you could possibly have to deal with. And then finally you get into a section where it's not wet anymore, but now it's really, really windy and sandy. So now you have this dirt and sand blowing in through the mesh in your tent and you wake up covered in dirt every morning. And so that presents a totally different challenge. And then, you know, you get out of that challenge and now all of a sudden you're in an area where there's just cows everywhere and you're having to camp next to cows that have bells on and that are mooing all night and potentially stampeding your tent. And so there's always something that creating some sort of adversity on the trail you just kind of have to embrace it and you know accept that that's part of the experience <laughs> it sounds like a uh 
a uh, careful what you wish for type of thing? Yes, absolutely. Because we sit there and go, oh, I can't wait for it to stop raining. And then, oh, you don't want it to rain anymore? Well, here's this super dry windstorm full of dust that I never thought dust would be such a problem. But you get it, you, your face gets covered in dirt if you poke it out of your sleeping bag and your eyes get crusted over with this like fine sand and ugh can't really have a way to clean it off and where where were you running into that the most in the desert that's what i was thinking particularly where the yeah. big uh wind uh wind machines are yeah 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 i thought it would be really nice to camp next to the uh windmills and it's absolutely a terrible idea <laughs> a terrible place to camp because it's going to be windy there why they're there there's a reason why they're there Yes. What were some other terrible ideas that you thought were brilliant at the time that you come to realize were not so brilliant? Oh, I think um, a lot of times you find a really beautiful campsite that nobody else is camping in that has this wonderful vista and it's on top of the mountain and it just looks so perfect. And uh, you'll set up your tent there and you're completely exposed to the wind. So that always ends up being, I learned pretty quickly that those really beautiful campsites that are super exposed aren't necessarily the best places to camp. And they look really nice for a picture, but you end up getting terrible sleep because it can be really, really windy. I'm sensing a wind theme here. Yeah, the wind is, I never really thought wind would be a problem, but it can, it's, it really, it disrupts your whole, whole night, like fighting with your tent to make sure it's not going to fall over and having to get out and restake it out. And there's really no, no way to like make it tight enough that you don't hear the wind flapping on your tent. So it just makes a whole bunch of noise and stuff flying into your tent and dirt. And I would have to tell myself in some of the wind storms uh, that I can't through, they were so bad. I would tell myself that, that no one's ever died because of wind <laughs> that it can't kill me. <laughs> the wind itself. I mean, I'm sure something blowing the wind could, could hurt me, but that the wind itself was not going to hurt me and that would be okay. It was just so violent in some of these areas. Yeah. It's so strong. It can be. And little tents aren't, aren't made for that. I don't think, I mean, they say they can withstand the gusts, but they really, they really don't do a great job. I guess in my head, I almost picture like a uh, Wizard of Oz tornado just sweeping the tent up or pulling the tent Absolutely. up. Yeah. There were times I couldn't even set up my tent because it was so windy. I would, I would get one uh, tent stake in and then the whole tent would be blowing away and I would try so hard to like fight the wind to set up my tent, but there was nowhere else to camp. So we were kind of stuck in these super windy spots and it was, it was a real challenge. So what would you do in those situations? I mean, you just keep fighting with your tent until you get it off. <laughs> I always set up my tent. You know, I always made it work somehow. So at least if I had my tent up, I could put all my things in my tent and I wasn't going to lose anything inside my tent. It wasn't going to blow away because it was contained by the tent. But it definitely was not easy. So... On the scales of owl versus wind. Ooh. Yeah. That's a tough one. 
Owls are pretty annoying. It's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I think I'd rather deal with the owls, though, than the wind. I think. Yeah. I think you you might have said, but just to be safe, what was the tent that you ended up with? Um, I ended up with the Z-Pack Soloplex, which they don't make anymore. Okay. It's their, their one-person tent. And was that, though they don't make it anymore, was that big enough for everything that you had or? Yeah, absolutely. It's big enough for me. I think it's great for a smaller person. Their one-person tents are great. And it was also interesting. uh, My boyfriend hiked with the duplex, the two-person tent. So when we were really cold in in the colder areas, my tent would be warmer than his because it was smaller. He had little thermometers that we carried to see what the temperatures were. (laughs) And so my tent was always at least five degrees warmer than his in the morning when we'd wake up. And I think it's just because it was smaller and I was, it was able to hold heat a little bit better. So it's kind of interesting. It sounds like you guys are science, science nerds. Like you love the, the facts and figures and comparing them. I think, yeah, I think we are a little bit of casual science nerds for sure. <laughs> We definitely liked all of our little data points and yeah. figuring things out. It's it's almost a, a little bit in my head. It's almost a little bit of a version of a Big Bang Theory, but for yeah. for through hikers. Yeah, possibly. It sounds like us. <laughs> Did you end up doing much night hiking? Yeah, a lot. Um, I love hiking at night, uh, especially when it's hot. I hate the heat and hiking at night is just such a nice way to avoid the heat of the day. And it always feels really, there's, you know, you get to, the trail feels really different at night and the stars are out and there's different animals out and it's really quiet. It's a a completely different experience. I love it. We did a lot, a lot of night hiking. And hiking later into the night, um, you know, until like 10 or 11. Was that on both the Nobo and the Sobo? Yeah. Going northbound, I hiked a lot at night uh, in the desert section just to avoid the heat. I'd rather stay up later at night and hike until late at night and then sleep in in the morning just because I'm used to that schedule. And yeah, going southbound starting out in the summertime we definitely hiked uh, later into the night on a lot of occasions what was your... the only thing that go hmm? oh, the only thing that sucks about it is if you know that you're going to get to a really cool vista point is that you completely miss the views when you're hiking at night yeah so but doing it twice we kind of knew where we wanted to see things and make sure that we were able at certain places at a certain time to be able to take a picture or enjoy a view or something like that. And, and I have a feeling the realities are that, I mean, California, you'll have done for a third time after this year. I have a feeling mm-hmm. Oregon and Washington will have a third or fourth time. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe even a fifth time. Now, what got you into night hiking to begin with? Was it literally just to avoid the heat or kind of had you gone into it planning to do that? It was, um, I initially planned, figured that I would be night hiking some and 
mostly for me, it was the heat, but I also kind of like, it feels, it was exciting at sections of the desert, uh, to be hiking alone and past everybody else that was already in their tents camping and to kind of feel like, well, I'm still out here hiking and, you know, to see how long I could go and how many, how many miles I could go on my own. Um, while everybody else was already bedded down for the night and made it feel like more of an adventure. You were also night hiking Eileen Sobo in Washington and Oregon, but were you doing mm-hmm. that as well when you were going Nobo? I just see it. I mean, by the end of the trail, we were night hiking to get you to just get the miles into the day, and the days get shorter as the trail goes on. So you end up hiking in the dark because of that. When did you for the Nobo hike? When did you finish? Uh, October eighteenth. And then for the Sobo hike, when did you finish? November twenty seventh. So happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. We finished the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> One of our friends that we met going north down in 2018 lives in San Diego and was able to pick us up from the trail. And he brought us pumpkin pie, champagne, and hot chocolate. And it was oh, amazing. Nice. <laughs> we ate the whole pie. Sat <laughs> there. It was so much fun. That sounds like the perfect way to celebrate the completion of a trail. Yeah, it was absolutely perfect. We had... Couldn't, couldn't have been better. What did you use for your pack? And did your pack change between seasons or will change for this for this year? I have two packs I've been alternating through. I have a ULA circuit, which is their, it's a framed pack or it has an internal frame. It's a little bit bigger. And then I also have the ULA CDT, which is their smaller pack. And so for summer hiking and warmer hiking, I've been using the CDT. And then when it's colder, I switch to the circuit just to carry uh, the bigger sleeping bag and the bear canister and whatever else I need for that. And so is that what you did for both of the PCT hikes? It's just kind of swapped yeah. them out? Yeah, swapped them out. And I have two different sleeping bags. I have a Z-Pack 20-degree bag, and then I have a Enlightened Equipment negative 10. And so even in the negative 10 this last year, I had night sores freezing and cold with a liner and all my clothes on. So, When you say negative 10, it, negative mm-hmm. 10 Fahrenheit or 10 Fahrenheit? Um, it's, I think it's they're negative 10. Yeah, they're negative 10 Fahrenheit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's their warmest bag that they make, and I was still cold in it. And that was even with yeah. a, a a liner and all your clothes uh-huh. and. Yeah, and I had the little down booties that I would wear, mm-hmm. so my feet didn't get cold. And I mean, just you, in the Sierra, it would get into the teens, and then there was still a wind chill factor, and it it was really cold. And there's no way to really stay super warm. So how would you? Not that you'll probably need to change it this season for that, but mm-hmm. how would you change it in a different season to adjust for that? I think, I mean, I think trying to avoid the Sierra in October and May is probably <laughs> a really good option for avoiding it when it's super cold. I don't really know. I mean, I don't feel, 
you know, I just don't know what bag would be better. And and that's, I just think it's just a bad time to be out there if you, if you can't stay warm. I know other people were able to stay warm. I just don't know if they sleep warmer than I do. And but I, I had a really hard time staying warm when it was in the teens at night with the wind blowing. And we did things like we would try and get to a lower elevation and really be picky about campsite selection and pick a campsite that was going to be really, you know, hold the heat a little better. And we had some really, really cold nights. So what did you end up doing for the nights like that? Just kind of shivering through the night or? Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I shivered through the night and I made, I started carrying, um, I would make chamomile tea at night. So I drink tea which would help to warm you up. But in order to make tea, you have to have your hands out of your tent and your face has to be out in order to drink the tea. So, I mean, that also then (laughs) makes you a little bit colder. And then eventually you're going to have to go to the bathroom, which is a whole other thing because then you have to get out of your tent and get really cold and then get back in. So, you know, you kind of have to suffer through it. It sounds problematic. Any way you slice it. Yeah. It, you, you end up dealing with it. I just don't know a way to really stay to, to make it more comfortable because I was already carrying a two pound sleeping bag that was negative 10 degrees. I had a sleeping bag liner. I had down booties. I had a down hoodie thing from Goose Feet Gear. I had a complete base layer set up, my down puffy jacket on, gloves, and you know, to still be cold. I don't really know what else be carrying at that point you you need to carry the what is it there's a there's a jacket out there grant you it's not light but there's a jacket oh out the there one that, that has, has the heat in it yeah 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 i can carry that or a battery operated space heater <laughs> but not too practical at all no but it would be so much fun so fun i think i'm going to try and avoid those time periods in the future I'm glad I experienced it. It was definitely an experience, but I'm willing to try and be a little more choosy of the time time frame that I enter into Sierra and avoid that super duper cold camping situation. So I guess that begs the question, what would your if you were doing the whole thing again, what mm-hmm. would your start date what would your preferred start dates be then, either going Sobo or Nobo? Uh, if I was going to go southbound, I think I wish I would have started about two weeks earlier. So we started July 14th. Okay. And I think if we would have started about two weeks earlier, that would have put us a better schedule. Um, and going northbound, I think it started April 17th. And that put us in the Sierra when there was still snow everywhere. And it was still pretty cold. But I mean, you really can't start later because then you're not going to make it through Washington in time. So. Sobo was more of an issue with the cold than going northbound. Because you're in the Sierras in October. The real, that was when it was really a problem. And every year is different. You know, you never know. I mean, some years October can still be really warm and, and other years September can um, bring the beginning of the snow. So you just, I mean, you really just don't know. You're at Mother Nature's mercy. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have much experiences with like bigger animals? I did. I saw quite a few bears um, both years and elk. The elk are all over Oregon, Washington. 
and oh, the goats, the mountain goats. Where did you find, uh, where did you see goats? Um, you literally entered Goat Rocks Wilderness, this giant valley, and you see these white, it looks like white rocks on the side of the hill. And if you watch them long enough, you realize they're not rocks at all, but they're goats. And it's so <laughs> cool because then if you enter the valley, you get closer and closer to them and you can just see them playing and eating and grazing in the herd. It's such a cool experience. And they come pretty close to people too. It's a little bit spooky, but they're really neat to watch. So aptly named. Yes, absolutely, like completely perfectly named. And I think if you weren't really paying attention, the goats look like fox, which is, I think, so funny. But it's called goat fox. Did you, I, I, I was seen as you were in some of your pictures and whatever that you were rocking a rain skirt. Yes, I love my rain skirt. <laughs> Did you use it both, both uh, Nobo and Sobo? I had a ULA rain skirt that was hot pink um, okay. that I absolutely loved. And it was a great uh, layer for wind and rain. And if it was really cold. It just really was a super nice weight to get out there. And um, I realized going southbound that I can make my own rain skirt out of Cuban fiber that would weigh one ounce. So I was cutting the weight in half. So <laughs> I made my own rain skirt uh, for the southbound trip that I, I loved as well and uh, wore that all the time. Like, not for rain, but for the wind and for it's an extra layer to keep me super warm. And it, it works out really nice being past so tiny, smaller than a candy bar, so you can put it in your hip belt pocket and just suck it out when it's colder or those windy ridges. How does how does that compare for you against like uh, rain slash wind pants? Oh, um, I would I would never do pants. And the skirt's so nice, you just whip it out and it has a zipper, and you put it on, and you don't have to take off your shoes or or think about it. It's so easy to take off to put on. Um, and with pants, I'd have to like, you know, pick up my shoes and put them on. And I just think, I mean, I think we've already covered it a little bit, but for anybody that's hiking, I just think it's really important to not lose sight of the fact that it's a choice to be out there and it's supposed to be fun and try and keep it fun and make sure that you're, you're still enjoying yourself. And if you're not, then figure out what you can adjust to make sure that you are whether it's hiking a little bit fewer miles or enjoying an extra day in town, whatever it is that you need. Because being able to hike the trail is such a wonderful experience and such a wonderful privilege. And it should be, it should be thoroughly enjoyed. So just make sure everybody really enjoys it and keeps it fun. Make sure that you don't get lost in the completing the miles thing. Yeah, I see. So many, uh, it's usually the younger kids that are just so focused on miles and they look so miserable on trail and they, they don't really enjoy being outside or hiking. And it makes me wonder why they're out there because mm -hmm. it really should be a fun experience. So whatever it is you need to do to adjust that, to keep it fun, you know, it might be that you need another day in town or you need new shoes or <laughs> extra candy bar, but whatever it is, try and keep it fun because that's the whole point of being out there is to have fun and to have that different experience and to break away from the nine to five. And if you're not having fun, I feel like 
who definitely did something wrong. Yeah. If you're always miserable, you could just be miserable at home. <laughs> exactly. And most people only get to do something like this once, so it should be it should be enjoyed at least on some level. Yeah. Except for you, who are who are going for a sort of third time. Uh, yeah. Third, fourth, and then I'm hoping to get the triple crown at some point. So I need to get on the CDT and the AT in the next couple of years and, and get those knocked out too. Your your fir- I don't will your first love let you go? <laughs> the PCT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I mean I I want to try and do the CDT in um twenty twenty one. So I'm hoping for that. But it's definitely gonna be hard to break away from the PCT just because it's so much fun once you've hiked it once to go back and, and see the same places again and again and again. And there's just something about it. And as you said before, every time is different. Yes, vastly different. Every time is different. And that's what I love about it. Do you see yourself like every summer taking time to do these longer, either a, a, a full through hike or a, a longer section hike? I'm hoping so. That's the, that's the goal for right now try and do something every year I have myself set up with um, a job situation where I think I'll be able to continue to do that so it's pretty fortunate with that because that's the that's the tough thing that's always been the tough thing and I think I, I waited so long it was something I always kind of wanted to do but it always seemed so impossible and once you figure out how to do it it's a lot easier to keep going and, and make it happen year after year but it's that initial leap of starting a through hike and, and figuring it out the first time that I think is so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly has been for me. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. But once you do it, you'll, you're going to be hooked. <laughs> I'm also kind of afraid of that too. It's really addicting. It's really addicting. <laughs> You might find yourself going south down in 2021 and or hitting the AT or the CDT. Yeah. I I have a feeling, and grant you, this could completely change once I get out there, but I have a feeling that the PCT will be my one true love and I will probably not feel any need to move to different trails. I'll just keep doing the same trail over and over again. Yeah. And the PCT is such a great, such a great trail and it has so much to offer because the different, there's five different sections of trail that are all so different and you can just keep hiking those five different areas at different times of the year and get completely different experiences. And that's what I think is so neat about it. And it's also, it's accessible where, you know, you're usually the four day section between towns. And so that's always, it's pretty easy to get get out and do four days and do a little small section and <sighs> dreaming of the PCT. You have such a great time. Now, when are you, when are you doing your California? Um, I permit start. Um, I think it's August 1st. Okay. Go southbound. So I may catch you in hopefully Northern California somewhere. Yeah. I may. And I'll probably, I'm probably going to bring my dog for another section again, just because, 
it's so fun to hike with him. So hopefully the weather will be good for him to be out on trail. It's always nice to have him out. Yeah, he seemed he seemed excited to be out there. Oh, he loves it. I put his he like he sees me get the backpack ready and I get his backpack ready and he's jumping all around and he knows. And normally when I take him for walks, he does these crazy zoomies. When we're backpacking, he knows that we're going for long days and he just sticks right by my side like Velcro and takes the break. I take a break and knows to rest. <laughs> he knows the drill. Really cute. It's really uh, fun to be able to share that. He's he's an experienced through hiker. Yeah. He's an experienced little hiker, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna let you go so you can get off the side of the road or All wherever right. it is that you're parked. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for uh for parking for me. Okay. If you have any other questions, um, you know, just personal through hiking, I'm or I'm I would love to, you know, provide whatever insight I can, female to female. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> I, I know. And, and honestly, it's like every day my brain comes up with a new question. It's, it's actually pretty entertaining stepping back from it. Right. There's a whole other female component. Uh, I, I don't think you've talked about it on the podcast, but uh, FUDs, are you familiar with the Go Girl and the P style? Um, I talked to, I mean, early, early on, I talked to somebody. Actually, I don't think it was on the on the podcast potentially, but of like a P funnel kind of a thing or. Yes. Life changing. P- so you're a big proponent of the, the funnel. Yes, absolutely. Huge, huge proponent <laughs> of the funnel. It's, uh, it's, it's just a time saver. And then it saves you from having to take off your pack and, and set it down, uh, especially in areas where there might be poison oak or snakes. It just allows you to, to go and, and keep going and not mm-hmm. have to take that break. And now you know how easy it is. It's been for guys for eons. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. It's not fair at all. Just <laughs> stop and go wherever. And that, you know, we're supposed to take off our packs and squat. It takes a lot longer. So mm-hmm. and messier. Yeah. Way messier, but the funnel is the way to go. I converted so many women on trail this year to the funnel. I think at first everyone's really hesitant and thinks it's going to be really weird. And once you try it, it's a life changer for, for backpacking or through hiking or even ultra running and trail running. I carry one. It's, it's a great little accessory. I will have to pick one up then. Highly recommend it. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about it. Practice at home first in a controlled environment. Um, <laughs> directions on there of how to practice, <laughs> but try it on trail. And I only had one or two accidents, but <laughs> not too bad oh my god okay okay so another one the funnel yep yeah please add that to your pack that paired with the uh, wonder woman wipe yeah great great way to go oh perfect well i've got the i've got the wipe so now i just i guess need the funnel yeah yeah they're a great combination it makes a huge difference i i love i'm a i'm a geared junkie as well yeah. So I love finding all these little cheats and and best practices and and all of it. Just I love it. Have you decided if you're going to go with a stove or not? I'm going to st- at least start with a stove and probably at the very least use it through the Sierras and then yeah. kind of get into Tahoe and and kind of 
decide from there if I want to keep it or if I want to drop it. Have you looked into freezer bag cooking? Freezer bag cooking? No. I haven't even heard of freezer bag cooking. Oh. What? Okay. I've heard of cold. Is it a version of cold soaking or? No. You get a, I put all my meals into Ziploc freezer bag. Okay. So my stove was only used to boil water. It's a completely lazy way of cooking, but I love it. So I boil water in my little pot, pour it into the freezer bag. The freezer bag can hold the boiling water. And then I had a freezer bag choosy that I made out of um, insulation from the hardware store and duct tape. And you put your freezer bag with the hot water in the koozie, let it sit for 15 minutes, take it out. Your meal is cooked completely hot inside the little freezer bag. You eat your dinner, you roll up your freezer bag. It's really tiny. You don't have to clean any dishes. Everything's already clean because all you did was boil water and you get to go to bed. It's so easy. I love it. So I take it that you're using a new freezer bag every meal or every... Every meal. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I so like it. I would it. portion out in my resupply. Yeah, it's great. So I would do that. Um, you know, and then you can get, I would do like Idaho and potatoes and then add um, bell peppers and dried tomatoes and dried spinach and dried broccoli that I bought on Amazon or done myself in the food dehydrator. And then, you know, you put that, all that in your little bag, let it sit 15 minutes. It's so easy. And then you have your dinner and you're good to go. No mess. Would you sort of store it in the freezer bag? Like sort of pre-bake yeah. it, make your meal mm-hmm. type of thing? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I would do that. When I get my resupply boxes, um, I would portion everything out into the freezer bags for dinner. And then I carried vegetables on the side. So that way I could feel like I was cooking in camp. <laughs> and then add the vegetables to my dinner at night and decide what vegetables I was going to eat, which was stupid because it was always the same vegetables for every meal <laughs> that I'd put into everything and then add my hot sauce and you know red chili flakes and salt and pepper and you feel a little bit like you're sort of cooking but no mess nice well and I hear that from a lot really of people nice. it's it's also like you were doing with the hot sauces it's very much about flavor like you can only do bland for so long no you can't yeah you can't do the bland for very long you have to have the flavor I, I like it. Any any more tips you want to lay on me? Uh, those are the cooking tips. Yeah, you can make a lot of gear yourself, That, um, which is what I did. I mean, I made the freezer bag koozie. I made a rain poncho um, out of the same Cuban fiber that I made my skirt out of, and I love that rain jacket. Did you do a um, rain jacket or a rain poncho? Poncho. So it could go over your pack or? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. so my pack stayed dry. Um, and it's the same as the rain skirt. You just, you know, pull it out, throw it up over your pack, you're covered, take on to put on and take off. You don't have to stop and do a whole thing like you would for a rain jacket. Did you have another like rain jackety type of thing just for insulation purposes? Yeah, I carried uh, helium two, an outdoor research helium two jacket, which is a super ultralight uh you know, windbreaker style rain jacket. But again, it wasn't your primary rain protection because you had the poncho. Right. Yeah. And it would wet out pretty quickly. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. Everything wets out. (laughs) (laughs) The Cuban fiber is the only thing that doesn't soak through, which is why I highly recommend getting Cuban fiber if you can, or Dyneema composite, whatever they're calling it now whatever version of it that it is, that is current. 
Yeah, but it's definitely cheaper to make it yourself than to buy it in the store. So, Anything else? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have another super uh, fun tip. Bring it. So I thought for sure I would never do this because you're in the forest to be with nature. But um, early into my first through hike, I met some girls who were doing trail magic who had hiked in 2017. And they asked me if I had learned that I could download Netflix on my phone and watch Netflix in my tent. And I said, oh, no, I would never do that. I would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) Fast uh, forward. About 100 miles later. Yeah. Get to town, started downloading Netflix to watch in my tent. Uh, But what I had that was really key was I had this little cute um, tripod that I bought on Amazon that holds your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And I could set my phone on my tripod in my tent and watch Netflix and have it be on a little stand. So you don't have to hold your phone while you're watching TV and eating dinner. So it's like being at home. It's like being at home. And it made it really nice because uh, I already had the tripod because I was using it for my camera and for my cell phone to take pictures. And then being able to set up the little tripod in my tent just allowed me to lay on my side and have my, my TV set up with my earbuds so I could watch TV and fall asleep. So, Did it feel a little blasphemous? Uh, it's not. It did at first, but when you're out there for so long, you know, it's, I mean, you're, you're living outside, so you have to have a little bit of home if you're really going to be living out there for months and months and months. which which begs the question of how did people do it 15 20 years ago yeah right well i mean i was backpacking 15 years ago and brought a book yeah i would read to go to sleep but it's nice to have the the netflix is a really nice guilty pleasure at the end of the night so which begs the question what was your luxury item or items Probably that little tripod is definitely a luxury item. And I carried a pillow, which I know not everybody carries a pillow. And a camera. I had a camera and a phone. Because I don't feel like the cell phone takes, no matter what version of iPhone or cell phone you have, it doesn't get the pictures that you really want from the trail. Yeah. And certainly not something that you can blow up. No. And, you know, you're taking all this time to hike to all these places that not everybody gets to see. You, know, you really want to have nice pictures of those places to remember. Yeah. Amen. Well, I think it's worth it to carry, to carry the camera. Yeah. And the tripod. And, and the pillow. <laughs> and the pillow. <laughs> it's nice to have those little luxuries. Yeah. Well, and technically speaking, not to, you know, not to infringe on Netflix's business, but Amazon Prime also allows you to download movies. Yeah, I did Amazon Prime too. Yep. And then if I had service, I had Hulu, so I'd watch Saturday Night Live and the places where I camp with service and catch up on late night talk shows and stuff like that. It's pretty fun. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yep. Thank you so much. If if you think of any other little tips and tricks, please please DM me. <laughs> I want yeah, I will all. absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure I've got a few more somewhere. Or you'll probably be doing something. You'll be going, oh. Yeah, wait a second. Little thing. It's it's fun. It's like such a geeky sport, and it's really fun because there's always something to improve upon or um, some way to make something easier and, and tweak stuff. So 
That's part of what I look forward to, actually. Yeah, it's real. You're gonna have so much fun. The the total nerd geek in me. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of opportunities to geek out, and it's it's really fun. <laughs> Due to some technical difficulties, Sarah's contact information didn't quite make it on this episode, so I'm adding it now. She can be found at Instagram at Krugie Sarah. So K R U G I E. S-A-R-A. Again, that's Instagram at Krugy Sarah. Speak a little louder. And when we find ourselves wishing that we could make a bigger change and find a better way. Show notes. And links for Sarah's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Sarah for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. I want to give a big shout out of thanks to all of the guests who've come on the show and generously shared their stories from the trails. As well, I want to say a special thank you to all the listeners who've come along for this crazy adventure. Though 2020 hasn't worked out like any of us planned... I do believe that the trail will still be there when this is all over, and maybe the air will be just that little bit extra fresh. I'll see you on the trail. Bye.